Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of TNT 2.0. Today we welcome Rashida Jones and Vivienne Aqua. Rashida Jones is an HR transformation specialist. She is focused on disrupting status quo and the intent on building people-centered HR practices using agile HR, design thinking and technology to enrich and uplift human experience in the workplace. Yay. And Vivian is a driven woman who likes to talk about the holistic way of sustainable employability called workplace wellness. For her, this is a way to work on a healthy culture at work. Vivian advises managers and companies on how to keep their team members healthy, happy, and safe. Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. Happy to be Thanks here. Thanks for having us. I always love it when we have more than three people in the conversations. It's that much more exciting, that much more energy, and that much more um, unpredictability, which is always good. You two are both synonymous with, with the DEI movement. I know, Vivian, you've, you've just been recently held a, a hugely successful summit. So we thought, you know, really imaginative with our theme here and decided, let's talk about DEI. So I just want a little bit of a, a backstory from both of you to understand how this hugely important topic became to be your, your purpose, your higher purpose, and, and why it's a passion for you both. So give us a chance to get a bit of a, your backstory. With me, it's very simple. I have been passionate about humanizing the workplace, but ever since that I had to explain to my son what happened to George Floyd, where he started asking me that one question which sparked everything, is somebody going to hurt you, mama? And the fact that a seven or a six-year-old, he's now seven, had to worry about my, my well-being, I said, no, no more, because I have to do something. I have to do something so that he feels safe, but also his generation feels safe. I mean, when you look back to what Martin Luther King did and where we are now, we're not really, I mean, we moved the needle, but we are not going from, you know, from song one to song 10. I feel like we are at song number three from the 24 songs that we, we can play to really move the needle knowing so many amazing experts, speakers, valuable taught leaders, I just had to ask them the question, will you join me in this movement? I never expected that this movement would blow up in the way it did, but I'm glad it did because people are still talking about it. People are still consuming the information because I, even though I'm offering a Netflix for diversity, equity, and inclusion, Making change happen takes time. Sure does, yeah. And, and the sad fact is that, you know, we can we always talk about moving the needle forward, but reality is the needle can also move back. What about you, Rashita? So for me, oh, I, I was brought up, uh, I grew up in Portugal to Indian parents. So from a very early age, I have been uh, used to being in an environment which wasn't sort of my own and where I stood out and I was different. Obviously, at that time, when you're in that situation, when you're young, you don't really know, you know, what it means. You just sort of, you feel different. You feel like you're different to everybody else. But what really struck me at that time, it wasn't so much, I wasn't so much hung up about the fact that I'm brown colored and then everybody else around me was white. 
it was more about the differences in thinking and differences of, of approaching things. And, and that's sometimes I would sit in a room, you know, or I'd go to my friend's house and I'm, and I'm sort of like thinking, this is so different. You know, I wouldn't do things that way. I wouldn't be thinking like that. And, and I realize now looking back that actually it was really my upbringing. It was the, the cultural philosophy with which I was brought up. It was my parents' definition of success, you know, what they wanted me to achieve, what it meant and what it, you know, what it means. And that's for me sort of the starting point when I made this realization and I realized that this is the basis of why we exclude other people because we don't understand where they're coming from. So we all have our frames of reference through which, through which we see the world, you know, ourselves included. And until we're aware of that, we can't really make space for others. That's really beautiful. So I have two questions, one for each of you. Vivian, that statement, is someone going to hurt you, mama, reminds me of when my son was young and he said, asked me when I was going to die. I said, oh, not for a long time. And he said, like, when you're 100? And I'm like, yeah, when I'm 100. I thought, sure, let's just go with that, right? And it totally changed the look that was in his eyes. Oh, okay, I can, I can manage that piece. What is it that you think our children teach us? <laughs> Mine is my mirror. I announce him like my life coach because he literally changed my life for the better. Everything that I'm doing right now, even though he's at an age where he becomes, you know, sometimes too annoying and he's holding up the mirror too often, I'm still listening to what he's saying because whatever he is saying, it's inspiring me towards the max because I wonder if he hadn't asked me that question, if I would have set up the summit and I would definitely say no, I wouldn't have done that because I wasn't at the time comfortable I mean, I can talk about race and I can talk about racism, but this openly and the way that I did, it really brought me out of my comfort zone. And as a, you know, ambi introvert, I went far and beyond my own zone, but it's all because of him, him asking me that question. So we need to listen to our children, definitely need to listen to our children because you never know what they might say or see that will improve your life for the better the power, the potential power of a question. Children don't filter it through bias. They're just like, this is how Definitely I'm feeling. And this is the question yeah. I want to ask you. And yeah, how we receive it from children is so much different than sometimes how we would receive those questions from adults even. Which Rashida leads me to the question that I had for you was, could you share with us the cultural philosophy you were raised with? Sure, I can. Um, so. You know, my, my parents, um, so I'm fully Indian, 100% Indian, even though I was born in Portugal, so that's number one. So I was raised in a really, you know, traditional Indian environment. And what happens is that when we're not surrounded by the same culture um, that you're from or you're part of, uh, it, it, it becomes stricter. So my parents became a lot more strict with me because they were trying to, um, to make sure that, I, that, you know, it was part of my day-to-day -day living. It became part of my values. Um, so everything was sort of exaggerated to the next level. Um, so, so some of the things, for example, is the fact that, um, you know, we're here to serve others. You know, that's our primary purpose in life is to give, is to serve. As a woman, you're here to serve males particularly. So um, a lot more for your, your brother, your, you know, your father, uncle, you know, so it's really the serving culture, but males are, are dominating that, that circle. So that impact, I mean, I remember 
you know, my mom would bring mangoes from the grocery store, super expensive at the time, only one in five of us in our family, but my brother and my dad would get to eat it first. And if there was anything left over, my sister and I or my mum would share it. My mum often went last at everything. She probably didn't end up getting anything. So, so it's, it's this sort of thinking and this feeling that you come, you always come last. You know, you're not as important. You're submissive. You know, you you do as you're told. You don't have a voice. You got to study and you got to work hard. And, and success means literally, you know, doing your university, completing your degree, getting good grades, having a good job, making money, so power, status, career. It's basically, you know, what success looks like. And that's what your um, reward, that's what your reward system is based on, those things. But some of the uh, the differences. Mm -hmm. I I can totally relate to what Rashida is sharing. And it's so contradicting because my background is Ghanaian. And I'm born and raised here in the Netherlands. So if I would have been born and raised in Ghana, everything what Rashida said up to the T is my culture as well. But... I'm born and raised here in, in the Netherlands. And I also adapted towards, you know, some of the Netherlands standards as in speaking up, up till, you know, a certain level, because speaking up to my parents up till now, it's uh, still, you know, a challenge, especially when you want to hold up a mirror. The way that my son <laughs> speaks to me with holding up a mirror, mm. my parents would never, never agree with that. But I chose to have a different mm-hmm. way and to listen, really listen to my child and if he crosses a certain border, then, then, you know, I have to speak up myself and say, that's not the way that we talk to each other. But what Rashida said about the woman coming last, I always hated that. I did not like that when I saw my mom or my aunt do that. And I still don't like it. My grandfather even had, mm-hmm. you know, challenges with me being independent, especially when I was in Ghana and doing my own thing. And he was all like, why is she alone? Why isn't she this? Why is she that? And I'm just like, leave me alone. I'm different. And I would rather see an equal world where men also do their stuff at home. My partner supports me in my career and what I'm doing. That means he's also stepping up in his daddy duties or in his duties at home. As a proud stay-at-home dad for the last 18 months or so, and I can really relate to that. And I can mm-hmm. also appreciate what you said about your son helping you, you know, holding up the mirror. And my daughter's only two and a half, so she's only just learning those questions. But, you know, I credit her pretty much 100% with my own personal development, my own realization about, you know, the curiosity connected with my inner child and understanding what making a difference and purpose and serving others in that role as a parent and then expanding that beyond that to the community we have here and then and then beyond that i I was interested in what you said rashita because i was speaking to someone recently he grew up in india his dad's indian his mum's from the uk and then he spent most of his life last 30 years or so living in california he always felt like he didn't fit in he always felt like he wasn't british enough or he wasn't indian enough and he always had this identity not crisis but like a, a fluidity in his identity and that maybe has spurred him on to be more willing to connect and find it easier to not fixate on his identity, but realize that there's so much more beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I feel that both of you are exemplifying that in the work that you're doing. And I wondered how that sits with you. Is it something that you find, do you find your identity is something that defines you or do you find it something that liberates you? So for a long time, I didn't really identify myself to something whether I identify with the religion or faith or um, whatever movement, I, I, for a long time, I didn't really have anything like that. 
it, it was just me and who I was. And I, I often call myself a nomad, you know, because I was uh, 15 when I left Portugal to study in the UK. I was there for about 10 years and I moved to the UAE. I was working and living in Dubai for a few years and I was in Cardiff in Wales for a few years. And now, you know, I'm here in Amsterdam. So quite a few countries in short space of time. So I kind of really feel like I, I kind of take the, the identity and I take the values and beliefs from each of these places that I've grown up. And I kind of feel like I also take the best things of all the things that, that make me, you know, as who I am. So, you know, the values from Portugal that I love, you know, from being Indian that I, that I love, from Dubai, from Wales, and now Amsterdam. So I think I'm sort of a mix, a complex mix of a, of a lot of things from my upbringings to my belief system, to my values. And I, I, I don't get hung up on being, you know, labeled as something, you know, part of a box. I'm just me. <laughs> I love that. I'm just me. Like, come on, everybody, just me. Stop trying to label and bias and judge through all of these filters. Like it's, it seems like it's so simple yeah. in its explanation. Like just stop doing all of that and hello, human being. And, you know, if we can all just do that, yes. what would that mean? What does that take for someone to remove all of those filters and just approach with another human being is right across from me? So I'd love to hear the kind of work that you're doing to help people arrive in those places. Thank you. So what, one of the things is that, for example, you know, I can give the example of last night when we were introducing ourselves and often, you know, we everywhere we go, we have to introduce ourselves. Right. And often what we do is, you know, hello, my name is and then it's your job function. And I'm moving away from that quite purposefully. And I, if I need to ask somebody to introduce themselves, I will say, what value do you bring or what is your purpose in life? So I try to change it to sort of move the direction of the conversation and the flow in that way so get away from this whole hierarchy title because this is all about that definition of success power status so I'm trying to move away from that and that's one of the ways in which you can small ways but really powerful ways in which you can put people on the same level playing field you know so because it's a human to human and what is my purpose what is your purpose and and maybe we can connect over our purpose in life but maybe we wouldn't connect so much if I introduce myself to you and I tell you I'm this big shot CEO or CFO or CHRO and so you feel kind of quite small. Uh, and, and it breaks that safety that you can build if you connect on something much more deeper and more meaningful than job title. Vivian. Wow, I'm still hung up on what, what Chita is sharing. I try to challenge teams to learn more about each other. So raising, doing culture awareness workshops, but also the personal level, right? Because how often are you in a team where you don't realize that that person is a caregiver or that that colleague that you might be calling in sick from time to time is a caretaker or that that person is having financial stress? It's not something that you would share with a lot of people, but then again, if you're working with somebody who's next, who's really close to you in your line of work, how come that you only talk about the work stuff and don't know that they are facing challenges at home or that they are going through a challenging time? Or maybe I've lost somebody during this, you know, during this lockdown. This lockdown, what this lockdown has shown us is the leaders that really get to that personal details, but also knowing their team members and the team members individually knowing their own colleagues. It has shown us where the want is and where there is a lot of work to be <laughs> doing. Those of you listening, uh, Teresa's just uh, done one of her homemade signs. It's littered up slowly. Uh, just right. Just the word awesome. Where's uh, yours, Vivian? 
That's why. Because Vivian oh, has these beautiful signs that she puts up in conversation that just like when you, uh, don't, want to, when you don't want to interrupt someone and you just want to say, yes, <laughs> I'm so with you. Like, come on, go for it. Keep going. This is just great. I love it. Challenge the status quo. Blow it up. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. This is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yesterday, talking at the panel with Rashida and then afterwards having a conversation about leaders amplifying DEI. I can definitely share that link with you later on, but what, you know, what really was the highlight is we need to get back to life and not back to reality, but back to humanity mm. to connect with each other and to really see how you can support yeah. each other. Leaders lead. Leaders need to also learn how to support and leaders also need to learn how to delegate and show up vulnerably. I really like your example there, Rashida. It's something that I've also been doing in our group. We, we always ask everyone to, you know, new people come and we say, introduce yourselves. So we make a point of saying, you know, we're not interested in you know, your achievements, your validations, your accreditations, your ego. We want to hear from your compassionate heart. And that's something that I talk about a lot. And I feel like something that you both all are doing in, in the work you're doing. And I wanted to know, has this situation, the leaders, the teams that you work with, have you found them more accessible to this idea? Do you think you know one of the silver linings of this crisis has meant that the frameworks we relied on have broken down and the things that we clung to are no longer visible, the barriers. And does that open people more up to this idea or do you still find people clinging to that, you know, command and control hierarchical situation? Because it's easy for people to slip back into that scarcity fear mindset when things are going against them, they've got pressures from all sides. We understand it, you know, we can understand why people would take that easier route what is it these leaders that you work with that you admire? What is that extra catalyst that you see that helps them take the difficult route to the right route? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, Reese, I um, unfortunately I've uh, I've seen both. I've seen some companies, organisations, leaders who are really willing to um, to open up and disrupt the way that they do things because they realise that what they have is no no longer serving them. But you've seen those that are still not willing to change, not willing to move the needle, and everything is still the same. You know, they're still very transactional, purely transactional in focus, profit control is still the, the primary uh, motivation for them. Those that are willing to change are those that actually have experienced this crisis in a different way. I can talk about compassion and empathy. But for a very long time, um, not everybody has experienced the world and the same circumstances in, in the same way. You can only be empathetic to a certain point. Unless you experience these events, you can't fully be empathetic. And I think what COVID has done is that it's put everyone for the first time on the same level. So we've all have same frames of reference. And then you have those leaders who suddenly realized because they either lost something, someone went through an experience, which was they went through an awakening. And suddenly that's where you see the change. And there are a lot of great companies out, out there who are doing a lot of work, not just in terms of, of improving HR practices to make them more people-centric, to put people at the center of what we do, but really a lot of work around inclusion and diversity and, and not talking about it, you know? So that there are companies that I know because I'm connected with them that are saying, you know, we don't want to you know, divulge this information. This is the work that we're doing internally uh, to make real change happen. So this is not window dressing, this is real. And, and I think that's fantastic when you, have the, you only have those that are very serious about it. 
And one of the main things here is the co-creation effort. So it's about actually going up to the employees and saying, I've never been here before. I don't know what to do. Do you have suggestions? So this particular company put together a group, a sort of a business resource group made up of employees and the chairman is one of the employees or the lead. And they put this proposals together, communicate with the ELT team. So, uh, so these are the companies who basically are serious about it. They say, you know what? I don't know. I've never been here. I want to change, but you need to help me. And I would definitely echo that, but also know that we both live in the Netherlands. And what I see is I also deal with Dutch companies and the Dutch companies or the, the Dutch uh, business-minded companies, they are having an ostrich method. And that is keeping your head in the sand because if we see no evil, we hear no evil and we speak no evil. Whereas you have also the international companies that really are doing their best to amplify DEI within their company. That's the two differences that that I see within what Rashida is sharing. And definitely, you know, are we there yet? No. Like I said, we are at number three of the 24, you know, 24 song playlist. And what this lockdown has done, it has brought us, because before we were five steps back, now it has brought DEI visible, you know, on the table as an opportunity for companies to really excel because the facts are there. There are so many studies and study upon study upon study upon studies are there, but still companies are not putting DEI where it needs to be. And that is on the strategy table. Every time you talk about strategy, you talk about culture, it should be there as well. But also structure, because what's happening is that you get a strategy or a culture and a structure misfit. So you start saying that you want to increase diversity or you want to increase whatever. But then if if your structure, so the processes or procedures that you have in place go against that, then it's not going to work. So let me give you a perfect example in HR, which is hire for cultural fit. Mm. And the refer a friend program or refer a friend scheme, you know, refer a friend get thousand euros if, if they join. So the, those two literally go against this, this ideology or this belief or the, this desire that we want to diversify because it goes against it because you're hiring more of the same. So any, any company, any HR department wishing to make some form of change needs to look at culture, strategy, and structure and how they come together. Because if one goes against the other, no matter how much you try, the doing and the being, they just won't come together. Yeah. So a much more successful strategy would be refer someone not like you, and then you get the thousand, <laughs> the thousand euros. Yeah, so I, they might be your friend, but let's not say refer a friend, because absolutely, yeah. I agree with you, then more often than not, we hang out with people that are like us. I think about my, the five people I hang out with the most are very much the people I share a lot of similarities with, and we mm-hmm. all happen to be females white runners like that's the thing that joins us together and so then the five people i spend the most amount of time with are those kind of people i just wanted to add also when you when you look at diversity and you're asking people to bring in their friends i mean if they don't feel safe to work there as a person I would never, I never mm. opened up my network for friends because I knew how they treated me. And I was just like, no, that's a really good point. Yes. So Rashida, you brought up the word crisis and, and this 
current crisis the pandemic puts everyone in a situation where they can go oh i was there when that occurred and so globally we have a similar experience and yet you can also challenge the fact that not everyone is impacted in the same way and so we get comparison occurring within something that is a global experience and the chinese symbol for crisis is two symbols danger and opportunity which i find just fascinating as part of a conversation in that crisis has a potential for us to learn from, to move from, to grow from, if we can get out of the fear that sticks us in danger and keeps us in that defensive, protective kind of mode. For both of you, exploring when you step into companies, how often do you see fear as a front? Uh, when you're working with individuals, how often do you see that visibly? How do you chip away at the facade? Regarding, regarding the crisis, so this lockdown, it's a storm. And on top of that storm, there is a tornado, which I call, you know, racism, discrimination and, every, and everything. And some people are in this storm in a rubber boat. Some people have yachts and some people have their small fishes boat and they can manage to the storm. What I see when, I, when companies approach me or when people approach me, it's most of the time there's fear, fear for change, fear for managers who are not very open to make that change happen because they feel like they are losing their identity. They feel like that this new way of working might be ending up being a cost instead of a benefit. But it's also the fear for the unknown. Yeah, when it comes to fear as well, in terms of leadership and in organizations, I think what we've been mentioning is true. You know, we're all afraid of what we don't know. And organizations traditionally mm -hmm. until now have all been, have always been about power and control uh, and really knowing, you know, the direction in which we're going and having a say about everything. But in the environment that we find ourselves now in, putting together a change management team or a program is no longer appropriate because we are facing change a lot more often than we're not. So how do we make change part of our day-to-day -day experience and our day-to-day -day working life? That, that is really key. And what happens is that we need to start giving more power, actually, and more decision-making power to our employees, which they're the ones that are closest to our customers or to the service that we need to develop and need to deliver. And from a, from a leader's perspective, they have to basically let go of this power and they have to start leading with, with the why, with the what and the why and leaving the how to the teams. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you start basically saying that, you're also opening up conversation to say, you know what, I don't know everything, you know, so that creates a bit of sort of psychological safety, creates a bit of more empathy. Let's use the collective intelligence that we have around us of our teams to start moving towards a collective goal or agreement or purpose. So I think fear is of letting go, fear is of sort of also being displaced. So if I start having more self-management or teams who are making more decisions, what's going to happen to me and my role? So we need to move away from this sort of very um, selfish point of view, but actually your role may not disappear, but may, it will just evolve from managing to, to enabling, actually, because that's what we want in leaders. We want coaches and enablers. We don't want someone to tell us what to do because people don't need management. Systems do. Hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a recruitment and sort of talent management background. So we've been talking about, you know, we all work with co companies. We go into an existing situation. We try to resolve what's happening. We talk, we listen, but often you're already three or four steps down the path. And so I'm interested to know your thoughts on this topic around, you know, the selection, the attraction, the recruitment process. Rashita, I know you, from your HR background, you probably have a thoughts on this. We've been talking about 
implementing DEI three steps mm-hmm. down in, in the organization with the team at the, at the leadership team level. What about all the way back at the first step from that attraction through selection, the onboarding, that kind of process? Mm-hmm. For me, that's that's a critical part of creating long lasting change. Yeah, absolutely. So so going back to that, one of the things is get rid of uh, your referral friend program and get rid of hiring for cultural fits. That's the, sort of the two first things you start with and put together a, uh, at the heart of Agile is, is working with cross-functional teams. Put together a cross-functional team that will go out and do this uh, attraction and the sourcing themselves and make sure that this team is representative of not only your organization because you may not have this representation. So think about what you're missing and go out and get it, you know? So that's number one. And then bring this, this responsibility to team level. It shouldn't be HR. HR with the hiring manager that are hiring for people. That's why you only get much of the same cross-functional people that are coming together, representing a diversity of, of, because diversity is also a thinking, right? So there's also cognitive diversity. So, you know, actually, you know, what are we missing in our team for? What do we have? What don't we have? And what do we need to do to ensure that we have this representation? So that's, for me, the starting point. What I love about that is, it requires that the companies remove the barriers, aka excuses for dipping from the same pool every single time and going, look, I can't find anyone who's diverse in culture that lives in this city. Well, we've all discovered that you don't need to live in the same city to work for a company. You don't have to come to the same physical space or the building. You can expand your look global for people to Mm -hmm. work for your company more often than not. So lots of excuses in the way sometimes I think people just call them that's a barrier it's a reason why we can't and we might mm-hmm. need to call a little bit more bs on that mm-hmm. Vivian your thoughts? I agree I agree I mean I'm not an expert on hiring but what I what I can say is the part after that person is in make sure that that person is not the only diverse person in your in your team or in your company because I've seen so many situations where companies add in diversity or sprinkle a little bit of diversity as in a person of color or maybe somebody who is disabled and that person might be ending up dealing with the whole tokenism Mm. because being the only one or being one of the few it's exhausting and you need to explain why you're doing things and I'm now referring to the Dutch people, and I don't want to say that about a lot of Dutch people, but we do here in Western Europe, we do have a problem where we ask, or not even ask, we want others to adapt to our customs, our way of living, so the Dutch way of living, but we don't do the same the only way that we do that is by eating different food. And I would say, you know, go beyond that. Learn about the fact that you don't greet people with your left hand because in some cultures, it's a disrespect. Learn more about why we don't waste food or learn more about why this person is looking away and not looking you in the eye. We need to learn more about each other's culture, even Mm -hmm. when that person is living in your country. It will be awesome. So I challenge companies to do food challenges because the best way to to learn more about people is through their food. Mm. Each country have their own traditions, which tell you a lot about their cultures, actually. Yeah. So I think that's a yeah. fabulous idea. Like in Portugal, if you ask for salt, if it's not on the table, deeply offensive, you know. <laughs> 
same in the uh, sort of Italian culture. Don't ask to add anything to your food. <laughs> it's been made perfectly as soon as it comes out of the kitchen. You should not need to do anything with it. <laughs> Hashtag not anymore brings us to the space where we have you as our guests and so many nuggets have been dropped already, but this is the time to give our listeners that if they were to do one thing after listening to this, put it into action to start creating the change that they want to see, the change they know needs to happen, what would it be that you would recommend that they start doing? I would say that they need to start asking that question towards themselves. What can we do in your environment, working environment or home environment or personal professional environment, what can I do to amplify DEI? Because I cannot, you know, there are so many things that I can share, so many lists that I can share, but the fact that you might not know diverse people in your friend zone or in your work zone, that's something that you can work on. So maybe mentor somebody who's diverse from you or maybe sponsor someone who's diverse for you. What can you do to amplify somebody who is diverse from you? Rashida? Beautiful. I think for me, I would say do some inner work. Have some time to really reflect on where you have come from. What is the lens through which you, you view yourself and the world? And how is that lens stopping you? Is it a little bit foggy? Is it stopping you from seeing people, accepting people and being inclusive of them as they are? Uh, and only when we have that understanding, only when you have that understanding, you can really make space for others to be who they are and be accepting of them. Oh, beautiful. Thank you both so much. Those are great nuggets of wisdom. So our listeners are going to want more of you. What is the best way for them to get in touch with you or learn more? Vivian? The best way is to uh, reach out to me via LinkedIn or Twitter. Rashida, best way. Same as me. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn and I share a lot of my nuggets of wisdom on there. Rashida Jones and my website is nrg-hr.com. And we will make sure that's in the show notes for everyone. So it's Thank easy you. to get in touch with our friends. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody, shake it out. We're getting ready for the rapid fire Q&A. Might want to get some blood flowing through your body. <laughs> rapid fire. What does that mean? It means first thing that comes to mind, let it fly from your mouth. Oftentimes we want to think about things a lot, but just let this fly out. We'll see where it goes. It's a little bit of fun, right? Why don't we go, Rashida, you answer first, and then Vivian, you follow with yours. So question number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Overwhelm. Crying, sadness, yeah. Number two, what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? Take a deep breath and do my gratefulness. Take a walk outside. Number three, what's next in your personal evolution? growth self-disruption likewise wonderful four when your best friend is having a meltdown what do you say to them i am here for you i love you as you are let's eat and chat (laughs) (laughs) we could be best friends because i like both of those things (laughs) and number five in this moment what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for I'm looking forward and hopeful for a more open and accepting people and society. I am looking forward to meeting most of my friends that I've gained during this lockdown. 
meeting them face to face. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here with us to making it a, a perfect four square morning for me. Just loved hearing your experiences and how you've transformed those into what you're doing and how you're going about doing it and keeping in connection with the why of humanity as that foundation. It was such a beautiful share this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. And Thank you for having us indeed. I enjoyed it and I am looking forward to future talks as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. What I would say is what Rashida shared at the start and I was going to mention earlier was that too many of us get pre-concerned with, you know, our identity, but it was actually through all those different experiences that some people might see as negative, but I'm sure you see as hugely valuable and, and hugely contributing to, you know, the person you are now, the purpose you have now. And, and the reason that for your being and you know seeing the way that you both are living that and being that and doing that every day more and more amplifying what that is is uh, really inspiring to me and i'm really grateful that you could come and share that message with our with our listeners thank you thanks for listening to this episode of tnt please share subscribe rate and review and when you're ready for your personal evolution check out reese at trueselfcoaching.com And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.